The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf and another podcast. Since this is the eve of the Feast of St. Agnes, a friend of mine contacted me to remind me about a poem by John Keats, the English poet of the early 19th century. The poem is, of course, called The Eve of St. Agnes. Now, this is a torrentially romantic piece written in Spenserian stanzas, uh, 42 stanzas, as a matter of fact, which makes it kind of a long poem. It tells the story of a romantic elopement of a young couple on the eve of St. Agnes. And the plot is driven by a, a superstitious practice that if a girl performed certain rites on St. Agnes' Eve, she would then have a dream about her future husband. Uh, she would have to fast and then uh, retire to her chamber and remain unclothed on her bed, staring upward to heaven. And then she would have a dream in which she would see uh, the man who loves her and so forth. Well, in this poem, young man uh, Porphyro, who loves the girl Madeline, uh, enlists the help of an old woman so that he can hide in Madeline's chamber on St. Agnes' Eve as she uh, does these things. And then at the right moment, he can pop out and appear to her as she wakes up and, as it were, be forever the man of her dreams. It's all very torrid. And in the early 19th century, uh, when romantic chivalrous chivalrous stories were very much in vogue again. Uh, this uh, kind of thing would inspire, for example, the pre-Raphaelite painters who were uh, very into these uh, images of chivalry that were uh, in vogue. Now, there are in this poem some archaic words uh, you probably uh, aren't used to using the word beadsman, which you probably should use all the time. A beadsman is a man who prays as part of his duty, especially uh, a man who is receiving alms or receiving charity, uh, and then as part of his duty, he prays for people. You might remember the beadsman in Trollope's novels, the Barchester novels. A beldam is an old and usually ugly woman, a, a crone, shall we say. And she figures big in this thing. She's the one who uh, figures out how to get uh, Porphyro into Madeline's chamber. Uh, there's a reference to a uh, Provençal tune, ditty, in here called La Belle Dame Sans Merci, the beautiful lady without mercy, or uh, alternatively pity. Uh, John Keats wrote, actually, a, a poem with the same title. And the idea, of course, is the, the whole courtly love thing, the 12th and 13th century Provençal poets, uh, masters of courtly love, um, exploring the nexus of sacred and profane love, etc., etc. This is all very much, um, it was very chic in the early 19th century. And uh, in, these, in this whole courtly love structure, there's lots of 
unrequited love involved men pining for the object of their admiration whom they placed on lofty pedestals and uh, they would beg handkerchiefs from to help inspire their gallant acts. It was all uh, both uh, uh, very pure and uh, not so pure at the same time. In any event, a lot of that is at work in this poem by John Keats called The Eve of St. Agnes. St. Agnes' Eve, ah, bitter chill it was. The owl, for all his feathers, was a cold. The hare limped trembling through the frozen grass, and silent was the flock in woolly fold. Numb were the beadsman's fingers, while he told his rosary, and while his frosted breath, like pious incense from a censer old, seemed taking flight for heaven without a death, past the sweet virgin's picture, while his prayer he saith. His prayer he saith, this patient, holy man, then takes his lamp, and riseth from his knees, and back returneth, meagre, barefoot, wan, along the chapel aisle by slow degrees. The sculptured dead on each side seem to freeze, imprisoned in black purgatorial rails. Knights, ladies, praying in dumb oratories, he passeth by, and his weak spirit fails to think how they may ache in icy hoods and mails. Northward he turneth through a little door, and scarce three steps ere music's golden tongue flattered to tears this aged man and poor. But no, already had his death-bell rung, the joys of all his life were said and sung. This was harsh penance on St. Agnes' Eve. Another way he went, and soon among rough ashes sat he for his soul's reprieve, and all night kept awake, for sinners' sake to grieve. That ancient beadsman heard the prelude soft, and so it chanced, for many a door was wide from hurry to and fro. Soon up aloft the silver snarling trumpets gan to chide, the level chambers, ready with their pride, were glowing to receive a thousand guests. The carved angels, ever eager-eyed, stared, whereupon their heads the cornice rests, with hair blown back and wings put crosswise on their breasts. At length burst in the argent revelry, with plume, tiara, and all rich array, numerous as shadows haunting fairly, the brain new-stuffed in youth with triumphs gay of old romance. These let us wish away, and turn soul-thoughted, to one lady there, whose heart had brooded all that wintry day on love, and winged St. Agnes' saintly care, as she had heard old dames full many times declare. 
They told her how, upon St. Agnes' Eve, young virgins might have visions of delight, and soft adorings from their loves receive upon the honeyed middle of the night, if ceremonies due they did aright as supperless to bed they must retire and couch supine their beauties lily-white nor look behind nor sideways but require of heaven with upward eyes for all that they desire full of this whim was thoughtful madeline the music yearning like a god in pain she scarcely heard her maiden eyes divine fixed on the floor saw many a sweeping train pass by she heeded not at all in vain came many a tiptoe amorous cavalier and back retired not cooled by high disdain but she saw not her heart was otherwhere she sighed for agnes dreams the sweetest of the year she danced along with vague regardless eyes anxious her lips her breathing quick and short the hallowed hour was near at hand she sighs amid the timbrels and the thronged resort of whisperers in anger or in sport mid looks of love defiance hate and scorn hoodwinked with fairy fancy all amort to save saint agnes and her lambs unshorn and all the bliss to be before to-morrow morn so purposing each moment to retire she lingered still meantime across the moors had come young porphyro with heart on fire for madeline beside the portal doors buttressed from moonlight stands he and implores all saints to give him sight of madeline but for one moment in the tedious hours that he might gaze and worship all unseen perchance speak kneel touch kiss in sooth such things have been he ventures in let no buzzed whisper tell all eyes be muffled or a hundred swords will storm his heart love's fervorous citadel for him those chambers held barbarian hordes hyena foemen and hot-blooded lords whose very dogs would execrations howl against his lineage not one breast affords him any mercy in that mansion foul save one old beldam weak in body and in soul a happy chance the aged creature came shuffling along with heavy-headed wand to where he stood hid from the torch's flame behind a broad hall pillar far beyond the sound of merriment and chorus bland he startled her but soon she knew his face, and grasped his fingers in her palsied hand, saying, Mercy, poor Puro, hide thee from this place. They are all here to-night, the whole bloodthirsty race. Get hence, get hence. There's dwarvish Hildebrand. He had a fever late, and in the fit he cursed thee and thine both house and land. Then there's that old Lord Maurice, not a whit more tame for his gray hairs. Alas me, flit, flit like a ghost away. Ah, gossip, dear, we're safe enough. Here, in this armchair sit, 
and tell me how good saints not here, not here, follow me, child, or else these stones will be thy beer. He followed through a lowly arched way, brushing the cobwebs with his lofty plume, and as she muttered, Well, well a day, he found him in a little moonlight room, pale, latticed, chill, and silent as a tomb. Now tell me where is Madeline, he said. Oh, tell me, Angela, by the holy loom which none but secret sisterhood may see, when they St. Agnes' wool are weaving piously. St. Agnes, ah, it is St. Agnes' eve, when men will murder upon holy days. Thou must hold water in a witch's sieve, and be liege lord of all the elves and fays to venture so. It fills me with amaze to see thee, Porphyro, St. Agnes' Eve, God's help. My lady fair the conjurer plays this very night. Good angels her deceive. But let me laugh a while. I've mickle time to grieve. Feebly she laugheth in the languid moon, while Porphyro upon her face doth look like puzzled urchin on an aged crone who keepeth closed a wondrous riddle-book as spectacled she sits in chimney-nook. But soon his eyes grew brilliant when she told his lady's purpose, and he scarce could brook tears at the thought of those enchantments cold and Madeline asleep in lap of legends old. Sudden a thought came like a full-blown rose, flushing his brow, and in his painted heart made purple riot. Then doth he propose a stratagem that makes the beldam start. A cruel man and impious thou art, sweet lady, let her pray and sleep and dream alone with her good angels, far apart from wicked men like thee. Go, Go, I deem thou canst not surely be the same that thou didst seem. I will not harm her, by all saints I swear, quoth Porphyro. Oh, may I ne'er find grace when my weak voice shall whisper its last prayer, if one of her soft ringlets I displace, or look with ruffian passion in her face. Good Angela, believe me by these tears, or I will even in a moment's space awake with horrid shout my foeman's ears and beard them, though they be more fang than wolves and bears. Ah, why wilt thou affright a feeble soul, a poor, weak, palsy-stricken, churchyard thing, whose passing bell may e'er the midnight toll, whose prayers for thee each morn and evening were never missed? Thus planning doth she bring a gentler speech from burning Porphyro, so woeful, and of such deep sorrowing, that Angela gives promise she will do whatever he shall wish, betide her weal or woe. Which was to lead him in close secrecy, even to Madeline's chamber, and there hide him in a closet of such privacy 
that he might see her beauty unespied, and win, perhaps, that night a peerless bride, while legioned fairies paced the coverlet, and pale enchantment held her sleepy-eyed. Never on such a night have lovers met, since Merlin paid his demon all the monstrous debt. It shall be as thou wishest, said the dame. All cates and dainties shall be stored there quickly on this feast night by the tambour frame, her own loot thou wilt see. No time to spare, for I am slow and feeble, and scarce dare on such a catering trust my dizzy head. Wait here, my child, with patience. Kneel in prayer the while. Ah, thou must needs the lady wed, or may I never leave my grave among the dead. So saying, she hobbled off with busy fear. The lover's endless minutes slowly passed. The dame returned and whispered in his ear to follow her, with aged eyes aghast from fright of dim espial. Safe at last, through many a dusky gallery, they gained the maiden's chamber, silken, hushed, and chaste, where Porphyro took covert pleased amain. His poor guide hurried back with agues in her brain. Her faltering hand upon the balustrade, old Angela was feeling for the stair, when Madeline, St. Agnes' charmed maid, rose like a missioned spirit unaware, with silver tapers light and pious care. She turned and down the aged gossip led to a safe level matting. Now prepare, young Porphyro, for gazing on that bed. She comes, she comes again, like dove frayed and fled. Out went the taper as she hurried in. Its little smoke in pallid moonshine died. She closed the door. She panted, all akin to spirits of the air and visions wide. No uttered syllable or woe betide. But to her heart, her heart was voluble, Paining with eloquence her balmy side, As though a tongueless nightingale Should swell her throat in vain and die, Heart stifled in her dell. A casement, high and triple-arched there was, all garlanded with carven imageries of fruit and flowers, and bunches of knot-grass, and diamonded with panes of quaint device, innumerable of stains and splendid dyes, as are the tiger-moth's deep damasked wings. And in the midst, among thousand heraldries, and twilight saints, and dim emblazonings, a shielded scutcheon blushed with blood of queens and kings. Full on this casement shone the wintry moon, and threw warm ghouls on Madeline's fair breast, as down she knelt for heaven's grace and boon. Rose-bloom fell on her hands, together pressed, and on her silver cross soft amethyst, and on her hair a glory like a saint. She seemed a splendid angel, newly dressed, save wings for heaven. Porphyro grew faint. She knelt, so pure a thing, so free from mortal taint. 
Anon his heart revives. Her vespers done, of all its wreathed pearls, Her hair she frees, unclasps her warmed jewels one by one, Loosens her fragrant bodice. By degrees her rich attire creeps rustling to her knees, Half hidden, like a mermaid, in seaweed pensive a while, She dreams awake, and sees in fancy fair Agnes in her bed, but dares not look behind, or all the charm is fled. Soon, trembling in her soft and chilly nest, in sort of wakeful swoon, perplexed she lay, until the poppied warmth of sleep oppressed her soothed limbs, and a soul fatigued away, flown like a thought, until the morrow day. Blissfully havened, both from joy and pain, Clasped like a missile, where swart Panem's prey, Blind alike from sunshine and from rain, As though a rose should shut and be a bud again. Stolen to this paradise, and so entranced, Porphyro gazed upon her empty dress, And listened to her breathing, if it chanced to wake into a slumbrous tenderness, which when he heard, that minute did he bless, and breathed himself. Then from the closet crept, noiseless as fear in a wide wilderness, and over the hushed carpet silent stepped, and tween the curtains peeped, where, lo, how fast she slept. Then, by the bedside, where the faded moon made a dim silver twilight, soft he set a table, and, half-anguished, threw thereon a doth of woven crimson, gold, and jet, oh, for some drowsy Morphian amulet, the boisterous midnight festive clarion, the kettle-drum, and far-heard clarinet, affray his ears, though but in dying tone. The hall-door shuts again, and all the noise is gone. And still she slept in azure-lidded sleep, In blanched linen smooth and lavendered, While he from forth the closet brought a heap of candied apple, Quince and plum, and gourd with jellies soother than the creamy curd, And lucent syrups tinct with cinnamon manna in dates in argosy transferred from fez and a spiced dainties every one from silken samarkand to cedared lebanon these delicates he heaped with glowing hand on golden dishes and in baskets bright of wreathed silver sumptuous they stand in the retired quiet of the night filling the chilly room with perfume light and now, my love, my seraph fair, awake. Thou art my heaven, and I thine eremite. Open thine eyes for meek St. Agnes' sake, or I shall drowse beside thee, so my soul doth ache. Thus whispering, his warm, unnerved arm sank in her pillow, Shaded was her dream by the dusk curtains, 
"'Twas a midnight charm impossible to melt as iced stream. "'The lustrous salvers in the moonlight gleam. "'Broad golden fringe upon the carpet lies. "'It seemed he never, never could redeem "'from such a steadfast spell his lady's eyes. "'So mused a while, entoiled in roofed fantasies. "'Awakening up, he took her hollow lute, tumultuous, and in chords that tenderest be, he played an ancient ditty, long since mute in Provence called La Belle Dame Sans Merci, close to her ear, touching the melody, wherewith disturbed she uttered a soft moan. He ceased, she panted quick, and suddenly her blue afraid eyes wide open shone. Upon his knees he sank, pale as smooth-sculptured stone. Her eyes were open, but she still beheld now wide awake the vision of her sleep. There was a painful change that nigh expelled the blisses of her dream so pure and deep at which fair Madeleine began to weep and moan forth witless words with many a sigh, while still her gaze on Porphyro would keep, who knelt with jointed hands and piteous eye, fearing to move or speak, she looked so dreamingly. Ah, Porphyro, said she, but even now thy voice was at sweet tremble in mine ear, made tunable with every sweetest vow, and those sad eyes were spiritual and clear. How changed thou art, how pallid, chill, and drear! Give me that voice again, my Porphyro, those looks immortal, those complainings dear. Oh, leave me not in this eternal woe, for if thou diest, my love, I know not where to go. Beyond a mortal man impassioned, far at these voluptuous accents, he arose, ethereal, flushed, and like a throbbing star, seen mid the sapphire heaven's deep repose, into her dream he melted, as the rose blendeth its odor with the violet, solution sweet. Meantime, the frost wind blows like lover's alarm pattering the sharp sleet against the window-panes, St. Agnes' moon hath set. Tis dark, quick pattereth the flaw-blown sleet. This is no dream, my bride, my Madeline. Tis dark, the iced gusts still rave and beat. No dream, alas, alas, and woe is mine, Porphyro will leave me here to fade and pine. Cruel, what traitor could thee hither bring? I curse not, for my heart is lost in thine, though thou forsakest a deceived thing, a dove forlorn and lost with sick unpruned wing. My Madeline, sweet dreamer, lovely bride, say may I be, for I thy vassal blessed. Thy beauty's shield, heart-shaped and vermil-dyed. Ah, silver shrine, here will I take my rest, After so many hours of toil and quest, A famished pilgrim, saved by miracle. 
though I have found, I will not rob thy nest, saving of thy sweet self, if thou thinkest well to trust, fair Madeline, to no rude infidel. Hark! "'Tis an elfin storm from fairyland of haggard seeming, "'but a boon indeed. Arise, arise, the morning is at hand. "'The bloated wassailers will never heed. "'Let us away, my love, with happy speed. "'There are no ears to hear or eyes to see, "'drowned all in Rhenish and the sleepy mead. "'Awake, arise, my love, and fearless be, "'for o'er the southern moors I have a home for thee.' She hurried at his words, beset with fears, for there were sleeping dragons all around, at glaring watch, perhaps with ready spears, down the wide stairs a darkling way they found, in all the house was heard no human sound. A chain-drooped lamp was flickering by each door, the heiress, rich with horsemen, hawk and hound, fluttered in the besieging wind's uproar, and the long carpets rose along the gusty floor. They glide like phantoms into the wide hall, like phantoms to the iron porch they glide, where lay the porter in uneasy sprawl, with a huge empty flagon by his side. The wakeful bloodhound rose and shook his hide, but his sagacious eye in inmate owns by one and one the bolts fill easy slide the chain lies silent on the foot-worn stones the key turns and the door upon its hinges groans and they are gone ay ages long ago these lovers fled away into the storm that night the baron dreamt of many a woe, and all his warrior guests, with shade and form of witch and demon and large coffin worm, were long benightmared. Angela the old, died palsy twitched, with meager face deform. The beadsman, after thousand obbies told, for I unsought, for slept among his ashes cold. Since it is winter, and indeed about midwinter, not exactly, but close enough, and because I mentioned the pre-Raphaelites a little earlier, and because I read a poem, here is another poem by a member of the pre-Raphaelite circle about midwinter. The poem 
was set to music by Gustav Holst and Harold Dark, and it is often heard as a carol at Christmas time. The poem is called In the Bleak Midwinter by Christina Rossetti. It was written about 1872. Uh, Christina Rossetti uh, was very much inspired by Keats, as a matter of fact, in her own work as a poet. Here is Christina Rossetti's In the Bleak Midwinter. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. Our God, heaven, cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him, whom cherubim worship night and day, a breast full of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him, whom angels fall down before, the ox and ass and camel, which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but only his mother in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him, give my heart.
with that, I'm going to wrap this up. Come and visit at the blog, wdtprs.com. What does the prayer really say? That's whiskey delta tango, papa romeo sierra.com. Otherwise, you could just Google Father Z and I'll come right up. I hope uh, you'll come to the blog and get involved in discussions there. But until you do, please pray for me as I will for you.